Midarim Perik Gimel Mishnah Yud Aleph three eleven, and the Mishnah continues on here at the last of the Perik, talking about the understanding of various idioms, expressions which aren't meant to be taken literally necessarily. So the first part of the Mishnah here talks about the expression of Ben or Bnei Noach. Bnei Noach literally means the descendants of Noach, and every human being on planet Earth today is a biological descendant of Noach. So that should literally include everybody. But the expression, um, as we'll see in a moment, um, in common Jewish thought, and of course um, what we want is what people mean when they say it, Ben Noach refers to someone who is um, anyone besides a Jew, and Ben Noach are all the Gentiles of the world. The idea being that, of course, um, humanity is B'nai Adam, descendants of Adam, but since the only all humanity today descends from Noach, because of the, what happened in Noach's time, so everyone's been Noach, but there's a separate spiritual father for the Jewish people. Um, father is actually of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, so usually Klai Yisrael referred to as B'nai Yisrael, in contrast to B'nai Noach, all of whom the two sets comprise B'nai Adam. Um, and our mission here will refer to it not as, as B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, but rather Zerah Avraham, the descendants of Abraham. But the same idea, the point is that while it might be true that a Jewish person is biologically at the top of his family tree, we'll find Noach, but conceptually, spiritually, and idiomatically, which is what's important for Nadarim, the proper way to refer to a Jew is um, by his connection to Avram, Yitzhak, or Yaakov, and uh, the term Bene or Ben Noach refers to Gentiles. So that's what the Mishnah says inside. Konam, if a person says, take some kind of neder, and the Mishnah here is clearly not being precise on the exact phraseology of the nether he took, but it doesn't matter. For now, let's not focus on that. Let's assume he takes an effective nether, but it's contingent upon someone being a member of Bnei Noach. So the Mishnah says, if a person says, Konam she'eni Noach, person says, I won't get benefit from people who are Bnei Noach. Who does that mean? It's Mutter be Yisrael. He may get benefit from Jews, va'asur ba'umas olam. But all non-Jews um, are restricted under that nether. If he says, I won't get benefit from someone who, from someone who is Zerah Avraham. Now, Zerah Avraham literally means like the seed, the offspring of Abraham. And Abraham, um, that's certainly not synonymous literally with Jews. But nevertheless, the Mishnah says that the understanding is Aser be Yisrael. It's Jews, specifically all Jews, who are included in that neder. Umutr bumos olam, and non-Jews are all permitted. So the Chiddush cuts both ways for Zerah Avraham, because on the one hand, um, some Jews are not literally biological children of Abraham, let's say a convert. So a convert doesn't have Abraham in their biological family tree, but Avraham Avinu is their spiritual antecedent, and therefore they refer to correctly as Zerah Avraham. And similarly, you have Gentiles who are direct descendants of Avraham Avinu, including um, the descendants of Yishmael, the descendants of Esav. So the point is, although it's true, those people are technically direct descendants of Avraham, but the expression Zer Avraham doesn't apply to them. Zer Avraham is a way of talking about Jews and Bnei Noach about non-Jews. Now, the next part of the Mishnah, um, again, we'll use that, we're moving on from that point, although we're incorporating it. We're talking about a new point here, which has got to do with um, getting economic benefit from a transaction. So, the person's taking netter and he's saying, I won't get economic benefit from a Jew or a Gentile. So that is, he's not forbidding a specific thing. He's not saying, I won't get benefit from a Jew 
or Gentile's car. He's saying, when I go buy a car, I won't get benefit from or give benefit to a Jew or Gentile who's on the other side of the transaction. So, in Chazal's understanding, where the Gemara describes that when it comes to um, articles that are um, of average demand, there's not extreme demand, either everyone wants it or extreme little demand, no one wants it, um, which are hard to, they're sort of ex- extremely liquid or illiquid and therefore have their own um, considerations. But for typical articles that people buy on a regular basis, so the assumption is that if a person does a transaction where A and B exchange, let's say, a car in exchange for either money or barter, someone gives someone, exchanges one car for whatever it is, for 10 ducks and a cow, I don't know, it make no difference. The point is, the thought is that both parties to the transaction are benefiting. That's why they entered the transaction, because this guy wants a car, this guy wants the 10 ducks and a cow or the money. Okay, so if that's the case, since you're getting some benefit, if a person took a vow not to get benefit, he wouldn't be able to enter a transaction which is paying the fair price for the article or selling the article for a fair price, because then he's benefiting in the transaction. That being the case, says the Mishnah, if a person says, I won't get any benefit from a Jew, economic benefit from a Jew, then if he's going to buy something from a Jew, he's allowed to do so, because the article that the Jew owns is not what's being forbidden. It's the benefit of a transaction or from a transaction. Therefore, um, If he enters a transaction with a Jew, he has to buy what he's getting from the Jew um, at above market prices. That being the case, he's not getting economic benefit because he's actually paying more than he should. And if he's going to sell it to a Jew, he has to sell it for less than prevailing market prices. That being the case, he's um, getting less than a fair price fuel, so he's not getting a benefit economically from doing the transaction. Um, if, on the other hand, he says, a Jew won't get benefit from me, again, economic benefit, not that I'm saying no Jew will enjoy my stuff, but because then he couldn't sell his stuff to a, a Jew. But if he says a Jew won't get economic benefit from me, so then if he's going to sell his stuff to a Jew or buy stuff from a Jew, he has to pay less the market rate so the Jew doesn't get a benefit. Or he has to sell to the Jew at above the prevailing market rates. Um, that way the, the Jew on the other side of the transaction doesn't make an economic benefit. Now obviously no clever Jew would enter such a transaction because it's a bad deal. And therefore the Mishnah says, Im shomen lo, that assumes that the Jew would agree to participate in this bad transaction. But if he does, it's only permitted as he's described. Now, if a person says, li, he says, I won't get benefit from a Jew, nor will a Jew get benefit from me. So the deal is, therefore, Yehane lenachrim. He only can do transactions, buying or selling, with Gentiles because there's no way to construct a transaction with the Jew where at least one of the either the Jew was getting or giving benefit. Um, now, the Chiddush of the line of the Mishnah is, because it's pretty obvious otherwise, is that you might have thought, perhaps, that when a person takes a, the rule is, when a person takes a, a, a vow, a neder, a shvua, about something which is um, impossible, so or puts them in an impossible situation, then that neder or shvua, whatever it is, is not binding. If a person swears he won't sleep for a week, so then that's not binding because there's no such thing. Everyone... You can't stay awake for a week straight and so on. So you might have thought, by saying there's no way for you to do a transaction with a Jew at all, either to his benefit or mine, that that's sort of an impossible situation, therefore it would not be binding, but the mission is saying, no, it's binding, and you'll just have to just find a Gentile to transact with. Now, 
That's like the first part of the Mishnah, if you will. And the second part of the Mishnah, which actually in the Gemara is a second mission, separate Mishnah to itself, talks about the idea of circumcision, being circumcised, and the expression of Arel and Mul. So, the Mishnah says here, Konam she'eni nehene la'arelim. Again, the expression Konam she'eni nehene um, is definitely not precise, exactly what it, how it should be constructed, what it means. It's a bit of a discussion, but it doesn't matter. The point is, a person takes a netter, and that netter is effective, and it's conditioned on saying it's um, against arelim. People are called arelim. So who's restricted by that arelim term? So an arel is someone who is uncircumcised, literally. The orla is the foreskin, which is circumcised, cut off at the brismila. So arelim, uncircumcised people, who is that referring to in Hebrew? The answer is... Mutter la Arle Yisrael, it doesn't include Jews who happen to be uncircumcised. The Aster Bumule Homos, and it does include other nations besides Jews, even if they happen to, yes, be circumcised. So the point here, Mishnah, is the term Arelim means Gentiles other than Jews. Um, and if, again, if, even if a Jew happens to um, not be circumcised, he's not called from the Arelim. The Bartanur learns, like many Rishonim, that we're talking here about a scenario where the Jew had no option, halachic option, of getting circumcised. Let's say, for example, his last brothers were circumcised and they died. They're hemophiliac, let's say. So now the din is he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't be like the next, the third brother, the fourth brother to die. So that being the case, um, he's not allowed to get a brismila, but he's not called an aro. Um, but if he would have just opted to not get a brismila because he is a bad guy, so then. He would be considered an oral according to many Rishonim, including the Bartanura. Um, the flip side is, if you have a Gentile who happens to be circumcised, he's still considered an oral, because oral means Gentile, even though this one happens to have been circumcised. Okay, that's the Mishnah saying here. Similarly, if a person says, Konam lamulim, if a person takes a nether, which however it's effective, it's effective and it's contingent on someone being a mul, someone who is circumcised, so then, Asr ba'arle Yisrael, umutr ba'mule akum. So then, um, mulim is a synonymous with uh, Jews, if you will. And therefore, if you're talking about a, a Jew who happens to have an um, an, aura, an orla, he still is restricted. He's considered to be like, quote-unquote, from the mulim. And similarly, if you have a gentle who happens to be um, circumcised, he's still, con- he's still not included in the instruction because he's considered, okay, he's still not considered a mul by the term mul. Because the truth is, says the Mishnah, the expression, the, the idea of Orla is applicable and almost synonymous with uh, Gentiles. Now, um, Akum is an uh, abbreviation for Ovde Kochavim Umazalot, people who worship the stars and constellations. Um, Probably, um, in all instances, and here it's just been inserted because of censors. Originally, it was referring to goyim in general, um, but the Christians would not be impressed with that because they're saying, if you're we're talking disparagingly about these people now, therefore, um, to protect themselves, they change it from just goyim, sometimes nochri, Gentiles, um, to being akum, because the Christians, of course, aren't. They don't bat down to stars and planets and constellations, so therefore, they're not considered akum. Whatever the case is, the point is we're saying... Oral and Akum go hand in hand. Shene'emar, um, as the Pasuk says, Ki kol ha-goyim arelim v'chol beis Yisrael arle lev. We're bringing a proof text here that the term arel refers to 
all Gentiles collectively and not to Jews. This is a Pasuk from Yirmiya. So we're saying here, Ki kol goyim arelim. All the Gentiles are considered to be, are called arelim, uncircumcised. Of course, some individuals from the Gentile nations could be circumcised, but that's not the point. As a unit, they're called arelim. The Jews are not arelim, but they do have their hearts yet to be circumcised, says the Pasuk in Yirmiya. Now, we're bringing a proof text from a Pasuk that the word arelim means Gentiles. Now, don't get confused. While that's true, it's not, and the mission is saying it, of course, um, it's not necessary. Why do I say that? As Tosus explains, the truth is, when someone takes a neder and he makes it about arelim, so the understanding of what the neder would be would be simply what people, how people use the term arelim in that time and place. And the fact that the Pasuk uses arelim in any particular way is not necessarily revel- relevant. It's just that, since we have psukim, which use arelim in the very way that the Mishnah has said that it's understood, what it connotes in their time and place, so now since we have psukim to support it, we'll bring those psukim to yes, support it, okay? So we wrote this first Pasuk that shows that goyim are called arelim. The problem with this Pasuk is it's, um, it also talks about Jews being arelim, at least of their, of their hearts, therefore it's ambiguous. Maybe you're talking about arelim of hearts of the goyim as well. So therefore we bring a second Pasuk to confirm further that Aurelium is a term applicable to Gentiles in general, because it says, V'omer, another Pasuk, this Pasuk is from Shmuel Aleph, V'haya ha-plishti ha-arel hazeh, David Amelech, refer, referring to Goliath, Goliath, refers to him as, V'haya ha-plishti ha-arel hazeh, this uncircumcised uh, Philistine. Now, of course, David Amelech actually had no idea if Goliath happened to have been circumcised, maybe he was born circumcised, he had no idea, but he called him, yet nevertheless, he called him an Arel, telling you that the term Arel and Arelim is applicable to Gentiles in general. Now, even with that Pasuk, you might say, listen, maybe David Melech could use that expression not because Arel refers to every, any Gentile, um, but rather because any individual Gentile, I mean, of course, it's pretty safe to assume that they weren't circumcised. So therefore, maybe David Melech kind of did know effectively, you know, with 99% accuracy, that David Melech, that that um, Goliath was circumcised. Excuse me, that David Melech knew with ninety nine percent certainty or more that Goliath was not circumcised. Therefore, he could call him an RL. Therefore, we bring a third pasuk. Omer, this is also this is in Shmuel base. Pen tismachena benos polishtim, lest the daughters, the, the the girls of the Philistines, tismachena that they rejoice. Pentalozna benos harelim, and like repeating itself, lest these um, un- the daughters of his uncircumcised people uh, rejoice again, like a song or something like that. So the point is, you see that we're talking about the entire nation of Plishtim as being arelim, and obviously, while any individual Plishti is probably an arel, there's a good chance that. It's likely that someone, somewhere amongst all the Raelim at least, was circumcised, and we call them all Raelim. So you see from that third Pasuk, plus other two for sure, that Raelim just means Gentiles, nothing to do with them being circumcised or otherwise. Period. On that, therefore, the like on this point up to now, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah makes the observation that Ma'usa, it's disgusting Orla, that this, the, the, this foreskin itself is like Ma'us, it's gross, it's disgusting. Shinisganu Baharishayim, because it's used, the fact that wicked people have an oral is used to deprecate them in and of itself. So you are, you know, denigrated because you have an oral. Shneemor, as the Pasuk says, Kichol goyim arelim. The Pasuk said the same Pasuk from Yirmiya from before, that all Gentiles are arelim. They're, they're 
uncircumcised, and you see that's being used like a It's used as a as a as a deprecation, and therefore as a pejorative, and therefore it's uh, you see that the orla itself is maus. It's disgusting. That's a bit of a chiddush. I'll explain for a second why. Normally, if Hashem says to yes or no do something. You're not supposed to think that, oh, it's because it's gross in and of itself. You're supposed to say, like, for example, God says, you know, don't eat shellfish. Don't eat pork chops. You're not supposed to say, yeah, because pigs are disgusting animals and, you know, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say, you know, I'm sure pigs are delicious. I'm sure pork chops are fantastic. But, you know, if she, I just, no, I'm sorry. You're supposed to say, I would love to eat them. Uh, it's just that God said no. And if God says no, so I won't do it. So you shouldn't say it's just gross. But here, by com- when it comes to the uh, the foreskin, we're saying it is it is it is in and of itself something that is a negative. On the flip side, let's talk about the positive now. We're going to have a number of observations about how great the mitzvah of bris mila is that the Jews have. So, Rabbi Yishmael Omer, the first observation is gedola mila. The mitzvah of bris mila is great. Shenichrasu aleha shalosh brisos. Um, you can see from the fact that there were 13 separate covenants that are sealed with it. This is a reference to the fact that if you look in the Bereshus Yazai, in the 17th chapter of Genesis, where we have um, the discussion of the mitzvah to Avram Avinu, Bris Mila, um, the term Bris appears 13 times. That's the Rambam learns. You can count the 13 there in um, chapter Yazai there. And um, there are those who point out this is connected to the 13... Midos of Hashem. Okay, but the point is, you see how great Bris Mila is. Furthermore, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Gadola Mila Shedocha Es HaShabbos HaChamura. You see how great Bris Mila is because it's Docha Shabbos, it um, pushes off Shabbos. So the Pasuk um, says, when it talks about the mitzvah of Bris Mila, it says, Uvayom HaShmini Yimol Basar Orlaso, and on the eighth day you will, whatever, cut off, circumcise the orla. The point is, therefore, that you see uh, the uvayom on the day tells you that even if it's Shabbos, you have to still do bris mila. Um, so you see bris mila is docha Shabbos. Of course, Shabbos is very chamur, it's very severe, and yet bris mila is more important yet, so you see the importance of bris mila. Um, that, of course, is only bris mila um, bismano on the eighth day. If it wouldn't be a circumcision on the eighth day, you wouldn't do it until after Shabbos. Okay. Next is the Mishra, Bishu Mukarcha Omer, Gadola Mila. You can see how great Mila is because Shalo Nisla Lo Lamosha Tzadika Le Malosha. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't even have a second um, of wiggle to not perform Bris Mila. This is a reference to, um, if you look at, at the end of the fourth parak in Shmos, there's an unusual psukim, which are like very mysterious. After Moshe Rabbeinu um, is instructed to go back to Mitzrayim from Midian. So he takes Tzipporah, his wife, and his two boys, including Eliezer, who had just been born, um, and he doesn't circumcise Eliezer. So what happens is he, the Pesukim there say that as soon as they got to like the Malone, like the, the inn, so Moshe Rabbeinu, as the Gemara explains here in Lamed Base, that he is like starts arranging whatever they have to do to sleep for the night instead of arranging the brismila. He put, pushed off the brismila of his son Eliezer because he didn't want it to be um, like at risk of from the travel, so he pushed off the circumcision um, at that point, back back in, in Midian. The point is that Hashem took Moshe Rabbeinu to task and didn't give him a moment. As soon as he got to the Malone and he didn't start dealing with the circumcision proceedings, so he was ready to kill him, says the Pasuk. And Tzipporah saved 
Moshe Rabbeinu by quickly grabbing a sharp rock and circumcising Eliezer. So the point is here that you see even Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the tzaddik, didn't get any wiggle room whatsoever by failing to circumcise the son even in the first instance uh, that he could. So Hashem was ready to kill him. Okay. Next says the Mishnah Rebbe Nechemi Omer, Gdolamila, Bismillah is great, Shadocha Esa Nagayim. It pushes off Nagayim. Now what does that mean? Nagayim referring here to Tsaras. There's a mitzvah not to keep, to, not to re, there's a mitzvah to keep the nega on the body, not to remove it. As the Pasuk says, Hishamer Banega Hatsaras, you have to protect it, make sure it sticks around. So if there's a nega that appeared on a person's foreskin, question is, the Torah says, don't cut off the nega, but the Torah says, take off the foreskin, what do you do? So the din is, yes, you remove the foreskin, it's also based on leaving it from a Pasuk, so you cut it off, notwithstanding the fact you're supposed to keep the nega on. Now if you ask, wait a second, I get it, Prismila is more important than Nagayim, but, I mean, we just said that Brismila is more important than Shabbos, and Shabbos obviously is more important than Nagoyim, so what's the Chiddush here? The Chiddush is that when it came to Shabbos, all you had was Brismila Bismano, doing the bris on the eighth day. But maybe on other days, um, it's like less potent, less important, less valuable, less special. So here you see that this mitzvah of cutting off the foreskin doing Brismila, even if there is a nega on it, applies even not on the eighth day. So you see it's, a, it's also... Um, Godola, it's also great, even not on the eighth day. Okay, um, next we have Rebbe Omer, Godola Mila, Mila, you see how great Mila is, Shekola Mitzvah Sha'asa Avram Avinu Lok Nikra Shalem, notwithstanding all the great things that Avram Avinu did throughout his life, he wasn't yet called a Shalem, a Tamim, a perfect person, a perfect, a complete, Ad Shemal, until he did his Bris Mila, Shnemar, as the Pasuk says, Hisalech Lefanai, Walk before me, v'hayet tamim, and be perfect. And then the next pasuk is the mitzvah of bris mila. Now, davar acher. Uh, one more thing, gedola mila. You see how great mila is. Sheilmalehi. If it weren't for the what the mitzvah does and the benefit it confers and the value of it, lovar kadosh baruch hu es olamo. Hashem would have never created the world in the first place. Shneimar, the pasuk says, back to Yirmiyah. It says, Komar Hashem, thus Hashem says, Imlo vrisi yomom balayla, were it not for my bris of day and night, chukos shemayim v'aretz lo samti, I would have never put into place the rules of nature which govern, govern the heavens and the earth. Now, the point here being that it's for the sake of bris mila that the world was created and put into place, the rules of heaven and earth. Now, if you ask, wait a second, um, we're learning here, good, that brisi here is referring to brismila, but what's yomam v'layla? There's no brismila at layla, you have to do the bris during the day. The answer is, you're right, but the point is, once a person has a bris, so he has that bris on him, both yomam v'layla, both day and night. Um, more than that, there's a separate issue of the brismila allowing a person to have um, his um, his heart circumcised, so to speak, the thing with the bear between him and Hashem to be removed to a good degree, which enables him to be Osik in Torah Yom Valila, and that's a that being the case, the Yom Valila is talking about um, once you get the bris, you're ready to learn Torah, mitzvah of Talmud Torah, Yom Valila. And with that we finish the third parak of Mesach Sadarm, Psyat and on to the fourth, Bez Hashem.